Good morning, Collective Church. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be with you. Man, this stage is um, short. Is this to just keep like charismatic pastors like in line? Because I feel like I could fall right off this thing. Okay, I'm going to do my best to balance. Um, anyways, good to see you guys. So excited to be here, to be able to get into God's Word with you. Uh, it's been a few years since I've been here. I think, I think the last time I was here, you were kind of in between preaching pastors. Um, and I'm just really grateful for Pastor Ryan and the way that he has been leading this church uh, through preaching and teaching. And of course, Lorenzo and I go way back. I've known Lorenzo for almost maybe 15 years. Um, and uh, yeah, really sad to hear about him getting COVID. We're, we're praying for him. I know he appreciates your prayers. And let me just say, um, on behalf of uh, Lorenzo, as a, as a fellow pastor, um, the fact that you guys are allowing him to go on sabbatical is a really big deal. It's really, uh, really kind, really generous of you to give him the, the grace and the freedom to be able to, to focus on really his spiritual health, his family, not because he's doing bad, but because he wants to endure for the long haul. And if we're going to endure, we need to rest, right? Um, and so really grateful for you guys for giving him the opportunity to do that. So this morning, uh, we are in 2 Timothy. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses. So if you have your Bibles open, you can follow along with me, and then I will pray. 2 Timothy 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather in this place this morning, as your people, we long to hear your voice. We believe that when we open up the scriptures, you speak through what you have spoken, that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. And so, God, as we come before your living word this morning, we ask that you would that you would expose in us, God, any areas of our heart or life uh, 
where we are in need of grace. Jesus, we recognize and know that everything that we pursue in this life apart from you leaves us empty and unsatisfied and constantly searching for more. But Lord, you alone satisfy. And Lord, we believe that by faith and we believe that you are present in this place, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And so God, by your spirit, we ask that you would minister to us, that you would meet with us in a fresh and unique way. I pray, God, that God, that you would help me to get out of the way and to allow you to speak through me, God. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say to his church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, as Pastor Isaac mentioned this morning, I get the privilege of beginning a new sermon series with you guys through the book of 2 Timothy. The series is called Endure, as Pastor Isaac mentioned. And so I thought I'd give you a little bit of background to the book of 2 Timothy. Isaac mentioned that the book of 2 Timothy are Paul's last recorded words in the entire New Testament. And Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome to his young, dear friend Timothy, who is a young pastor in the church of Ephesus. And there were a lot of obstacles in the church that Timothy was dealing with at this time. There was false teaching spreading throughout the community. There was a lack of leadership, and he was struggling to raise up new leaders. And the city of Ephesus was just a difficult city to do ministry in. The city of Ephesus was a large city known for its pluralistic spirituality, its worship of sex and affluence. And Ephesus, uh, and that made Ephesus a really difficult city to try to plant a church in and to disciple a group of believers in. And Timothy is feeling the weight of leading this very young, immature church in a very large city. And Timothy is feeling discouraged. He is in over his head, and he knows it. He misses his friend and mentor, Paul. He's feeling isolated and overwhelmed by the needs of the church. And so Paul writes in this letter to encourage him to keep going. This letter is for Timothy, a call to endure. And what an appropriate message for us today. Living in such a fast-paced city that conditions us to value the immediate over the lasting and instant gratification over slow maturation. Following Jesus in a city like Los Angeles requires endurance. I think most of us can identify with the longing that people feel for certainty and safety in their life. The good things we enjoy, we want to last forever. But life hurls hardships our way that leave us feeling insecure and, faith and fearful. And some experiences even shake us to the core. We find ourselves scrambling to build security and to remove every ounce of uncertainty only to discover that it doesn't work. We simply lack the resources and the knowledge and the power. And moreover, the broken world just keeps hitting us in the face. Things fall apart. 
Nations rage, presidents lie, economies crash, bodies weaken, loved ones die, relationships split, thieves steal, and rust destroys. And we're left shaken and at times deeply discouraged. And if you're going to follow Jesus for a lifetime, you're going to experience seasons of discouragement in your life. Discouragement is an inevitable part of following Jesus. And it can take many forms. Often it's accompanied by questions like, am I living in the right place? Am I working in the right place? Am I pursuing the right things? Will things change? Wondering where is God in all of this? And wondering if you can keep going. Well, these opening seven verses of 2 Timothy give us some direction in answering the question, how can we faithfully endure seasons of discouragement? The first thing I want us to see in this passage this morning is that in these seasons, we need the encouragement of a community. Timothy needed encouragement. He needed to know that he had a community of friends like Paul in his life who were committed to his well-being and success, people who supported him and would be praying for him. We all need encouragement to keep going. Now, the word encouragement can sound like a very generic Christian term, like basically code for a motivational speech. Like, I really encourage you to read this book. I really encourage you to listen to this podcast. Basically telling someone what they need to do. But the word encouraged literally means to have courage put in you by another person. You see, when you're discouraged, you don't need a motivational speech. You need courage. It requires courage to keep going when you're frustrated at work because you're not being noticed for your hard work. It takes courage to keep going when your marriage is strained by the needs of parenting or financial stress. It takes courage to keep going when your friends move out of the city because houses are cheaper in Texas and they just don't want to pay these high taxes anymore. It takes courage to keep going when you find yourself continually struggling with the same sins year after year and you thought for sure that you would be over that by now. And community is essential for that. Following Jesus in community is the primary context for spiritual growth and vitality as a disciple of Jesus. And this is especially important when we're not doing well. You know, in 20 years of pastoral counseling, the most common story of people who are dealing with things like loneliness, apathy, habitual sin, or doubt, the most common story I hear from people who are in that place is that they have been trying to follow Jesus apart from community. They either have no support system, and beside a few surface-level friendships with people in the church, they lack deep meaningful and committed relationships with other Christians. And it's evident in the amount of loneliness and isolation that people I talk to are feeling. Many people in that situation will say that they consistently feel like God is far away and that they're growing stagnant in their faith. Maybe some of you feel like, hey, that's me right now. 
As followers of Jesus, we need people in our lives to encourage us. People who are committed to us and who we are committed to. People who we are invested in and who are investing in us. You see, Timothy and Paul's relationship, it was the fruit of years of doing life together. What does that mean for us? It means that we need to be putting down relational roots in the church. We need to be committed to our community. We need to be investing in relationships in the church. You know, I talk to a lot of people in the church who say they want to be invested in, but they're not willing to commit to anything. We need to be invested in relationships in order to build the context and framework for the endurance and encouragement that we need to make it as a Christian. You need the support of a spiritual family. You see, the church is a family. It's not defined by biology, but we're a spiritual family united in Christ by the Holy Spirit. This is so important to see the church as your family, people who really know you, people who know your struggles, they know your temptations, they're in your life praying for you, lifting you up when you're weak, pointing you to Christ, celebrating your wins, lamenting your losses, people to encourage you when life gets hard. And community is also important because we need intergenerational encouragement. See, not everyone's encouragement carries the same weight to it, right? Like if a 21-year-old guy who's unmarried in the church wants to give me marriage advice, right, or try to encourage me in my marriage, it's, it's appreciated, right? But it doesn't carry the same weight that it might coming from someone else. See, often encouragement coming from people who are either older than you if you're younger or younger than you if you're older, it carries a unique blessing with it. And Paul was older than Timothy. He was of a different generation. And Paul was more than just a mentor to Timothy. He was a spiritual father to him. In verse 2, he calls Timothy his beloved child. He loved Timothy like a son, and he took on the role of a spiritual father. We need spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers in the church. I think so often in the church we are conditioned to just view ourselves as brothers and sisters, which is true. But we also need spiritual mothers and fathers. We need people in the church who are older and wiser and more mature to come alongside of us, to counsel us, to mentor us, to encourage us when we're encountering difficulties in life that we've never experienced before. Paul wasn't the only mature spiritual influence in Timothy's life. He mentions Timothy's mother and grandmother in verse 5 as two godly women who had passed on their faith to Timothy throughout his life. It's our job as spiritual mothers and fathers and biological mothers and fathers to pass on our faith to the next generation. And if you're a parent, that means that You need to pass on your faith to your kids. I think a lot of parents in the church think that if they just drop their kid off at kids' ministry once a week, that 
that's going to magically transform them into a godly follower of Jesus. But it doesn't work that way. The discipleship that they need comes from Monday through Saturday, and it needs to be modeled by parents. And if you're not a parent, but you're a mature Christian, I would encourage you not to shy away from the role of being a spiritual father or mother to someone younger in the faith. Maybe they view you that way. You're like, I'm 32. It doesn't matter. If you have more experience in them, if you've been walking with the Lord, you can bring a lot of value to that relationship. And your encouragement is meaningful. Encouragement is such a powerful gift that we can give one another, and it literally costs us nothing. I think too often we underestimate the power of our encouragement to other people. If you're anything like me, you often feel like, what could I possibly say to help this person? I haven't experienced what they're going through. Would it even be helpful? I haven't gone through that. But a simple encouragement can go a long way. I think often we're so worried about saying the wrong thing that we end up saying no thing at all. And I will say this takes some discernment and wisdom to know what to say and when to say it. I think we've all received well-intended encouragement from people that did more harm than good, right? So I would just say when in doubt, let people know that you love them and that you're praying for them. And if they need someone to talk to, that you're there. Encouragement isn't advice. It's words of affirmation and support. And that is what is needed in the church, and it's powerful. And I think we need to cultivate a culture of encouragement in the church where we're just encouraging one another. I'm putting courage in you. You're putting courage in me. Just constantly affirming one another and praying one another, praying for one another. It's so basic, but it's so often overlooked. Enduring seasons of discouragement takes a community. We need each other. We need a community of disciples to encourage us to hold fast to Jesus, especially when we're discouraged. And the second thing we need to endure seasons of discouragement is found in verse 5. Notice again what Paul says. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul is encouraging Timothy in this season of discouragement by reminding him of the genuineness of his faith. Now, why is that important? It's important because seasons of discouragement expose a lot in our hearts. Often it's not until our sense of security and safety or purpose is removed that we can really see what our hope and enthusiasm about life is really rooted in. It exposes what we truly value. It exposes what we're really trusting in for hope and assurance. Is what I'm trusting in really Jesus? and what he's done for me, and what he says is true about me. Essentially, am I believing the gospel right now? When we're, when we're discouraged, we can really begin to doubt those things. Sometimes discouragement and disappointment can hit us so hard, it causes spiritual amnesia. 
and we forget. We can begin to doubt the things that we normally believe. When we're discouraged, we need to be reminded of what is true about us. That's what Paul is doing here for Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, your faith is sincere. I've seen it. It's been tested. I know you. And it's not faith in itself, right? It's it's faith in Christ. He's saying, Timothy, your faith is real and genuine, and in the season of discouragement, you can rely upon your faith. You can trust in Jesus. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, is your faith sincere? Is your faith rooted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sins, in your place, to give you a new life and to give you a new family and to give you a new mission? Because a superficial superficial faith is not going to cut it. But a genuine faith will sustain you through anything. A faith in Jesus. If you're here today and you're discouraged, I want you to ask yourself these questions. What is it that I'm really trusting in for my sense of hope and joy and value in my life? And then I want you to ask yourself, what is my heart really longing for? What is it that I really want? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What, what do I really want? It's a very powerful question. Jesus asked that question in the New Testament. He said, what do you want me to do for you? To a man who was blind, and it would seem obvious what he would want him to do for him. But it's an important question to answer. What is it that you really want? And if the answer to those questions causes a sting, good. Bring that to Jesus. Take that to the throne of grace where your Savior who suffered in your place sits waiting to show you mercy and kindness and help in your time of need. A sincere faith in Jesus will give you a frame of reference to overcome your fears so we gain endurance from community and sincere faith. And third, in order to endure seasons of discouragement, we need to fan into flame the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In verse 6, Paul transitions from an encouragement to an exhortation. He says in verse 6, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. See, in his discouragement, Timothy was shrinking back in fear from doing what God had given him to do. And so Paul is reminding him that he had been called to this, and not only called, but uniquely gifted by God to serve the church and the city. You belong to Jesus, He will be faithful. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Now fan into flame the gift of the Spirit. Fan into flame the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I think the temptation for a lot of us when we feel like giving up and we're discouraged, we're struggling to be faithful where God has us, our temptation is to withdraw. 
We withdraw from community. We withdraw from serving. And it's interesting because Paul tells Timothy to do the exact opposite. He says, Timothy, I know you're struggling. I know you're discouraged. I know you're going through a very difficult season. But you need to engage. Timothy, you need to engage the mission. Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you by the Holy Spirit. I have uh, two sons. I have a 17-year-old son and a 12-year-old son. And one of the things we like to do as a family is we like to go camping. So we go out into the desert, out by Joshua Tree. Um, we, we, we camp. We shoot guns. We, we do all the fun stuff that guys like, like me and my sons like to do. And um, one of the, our favorite things about going camping in the desert is gets really cold at night. No matter how hot it is during the day, it always gets cold at night, and so we need to start a fire. And starting a campfire is always kind of the highlight of the experience, especially for my kids. And my 12-year-old, he, he likes to consider himself the fire master. And so we designate him the fire master. And what the fire master is responsible for is making sure that the fire never burns out. That's your job. So he needs to make sure there's always enough wood by the fire, the kindling is already in place, and that we're never going to uh, lose that flame. And of course, he's 12 years old. Sometimes he forgets. And of course, we shame him in the most loving way possible <laughs> for doing that. And he needs to rekindle this fading fire. And so he'll grab a bunch of dead weeds, and he'll put them on these fading coals, and he'll begin to blow into the fire until the flame begins to to rise again, and the fire begins to burn. Now, I'm sure most of you know how a campfire works, but this is Los Angeles, and you can never be too sure. What does it mean to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you? I think we need to look to 1 Timothy to get a little more clarity on that. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he writes in chapter 4, verse 14, He says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And then he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So we don't exactly know what Timothy's gift was. It's not mentioned here, but we can assume that it has something to do with him being a pastor probably something to do with teaching or leading in some capacity. And it's really interesting because what Paul is telling Timothy in this time of discouragement, this time of isolation, where Timothy feels like giving up, he feels overwhelmed. Paul says, Timothy, the way out of discouragement is not withdrawing, but engaging. You need to fan into flame your gifts and use them. And if you're a Christian, you too have been given a spiritual gift. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift, at least one. Maybe you have more than one spiritual gift. And God has wired you to find meaning and joy in your life when you use that gift to build up the church. Now, it might sound counterintuitive, but how does serving help me overcome discouragement? 
Serving helps us overcome discouragement because serving brings with it a level of healthy self-forgetfulness. Sometimes we get discouraged simply because we just spend too much time in our own heads. We spend too much time preoccupied with our own problems, with our own thoughts. And serving others gets us out of our heads. It reminds us of our purpose and enables us to use the gifts that God has given us for the good of others. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. You're like, wait, isn't, doesn't serving add more of a burden to me in this season? No, it, it actually does the opposite. It frees us to forget about ourselves and focus on other people. And God has wired us to live that way. You see, and if the church is full of people who are all doing that, imagine the kind of church that we could have. If I'm constantly attending to your needs and you're constantly attending to my needs, it it just creates this incredible ecosystem of self-sacrifice and love and service. It's a beautiful thing. And it's not transactional, it's transformational. And here's another beautiful thing about that. The more we pour ourselves out for one another, the more God continues to fill our cup. This is true with our serving. This is true with our giving and any other ways that we pour ourselves out for the sake of other people. God does not live in a scarcity mindset. Our God is a God of abundance. We're always worried about not having enough, about running out. But God is not concerned for those things, and he doesn't want us to be either. He wants us to have the attitude of, I have an endless resource in God, an endless resource of power, an endless resource of joy. He's promised to provide all of my needs, and so I can use my life as a vessel that he fills by his spirit that can then be poured out for others. And he promises that when you live that way, he will always keep your cup full. It's incredible how he does that. And we need the church to help us fan these gifts into flames as well. Your gifts, by the way, are only discovered and developed within the context of community. You cannot know what your spiritual gifts are by yourself. They need to be used. You need to try it out. It's like, hey, I feel called to teach the Bible, man. Awesome. Start a Bible study. Go teach people. Are you, are you, can you do it? Do they want to listen to you teach? Are people growing? Are people being blessed? Awesome. Well, no, they boo me off stage. They throw things <laughs> at me. It's like, well, maybe that's not what you're called to do. Let's try something else. We'll never discover what we're wired to do ourselves. We need a community. We need a community to help us discover those gifts and then to develop and grow in those gifts. Another thing you learn from watching a fire burn is that lone coals always burn out. But when you put them together, they stay hot and the fire becomes strong again. As soon as the coal is removed, it dies. You keep it together, it continues to burn. See, that's that's communal. 
And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, this gift, Timothy, it came, it came to you through the laying on of my hands and in, in 1 Timothy and the hands of the other elders. Rekindling is communal. We need the church to rekindle these gifts. And that all sounds great, but it's not easy. It takes courage. And it takes power from something outside of ourselves to do it faithfully. If we try to just work our way out of discouragement by serving more, doing more, we're just gonna, we're just gonna burn out. We need to find power. We need to find a resource outside of us that will sustain us. And Paul knows that, and, and he points Timothy back to the source that is in God alone. And lastly, he says in verse 7, For God gave us a spirit of fe- uh, not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. To be able to endure seasons of discouragement faithfully, we need to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't be afraid, Timothy. God has not given you a spirit of fear. See, endurance requires courage. I'm sure many of you are aware that the most common command in the entire Bible is, don't be afraid. Fear not. Now, God doesn't say fear not because we don't have anything to be afraid of. We we have lots of things to be afraid of. God says fear not because no matter what we experience and no matter what we are going through, he has promised to be with us and to give us what we need to endure faithfully. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. It's not a spirit of fear. It's, It's a spirit of power. You are not alone in your discouragement. If you're finding yourself in that place today, I want you to to hear this. I want you to know this. You are not alone. God has not abandoned you. He has not left you. And you have a community of disciples around you who want to walk with you and support you and lift you up. You have Christ empowering you to endure the one who endured the cross and despised the shame, the one who rose victorious over sin, death, and Satan and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is praying for you. And you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart by faith. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in you. And you can trust him for that. You have a new family to walk with you and encourage you along the way. And you need to allow the Lord to provide for you in this season of discouragement through his people. This is how God manifests his presence among us. It's through his people. Jesus doesn't, he's not a bodiless head. He comes with a body. He comes with a family. We experience his presence in these difficult seasons through one another. He's given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. I want to encourage you if you're going through a season like this today to let Jesus love you in this season. Keep your heart heart open to him. 
Let him pour his love into your heart. Let him carry your insecurity and your doubts in this season and just trust that he loves you and that he is with you, that he is for you, and that he's allowing you to experience this discomfort and pain that it might draw you into a deeper dependence and intimacy with him. You've been given a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love. And lastly, Paul says, in a spirit of self-control. Self-control is needed when we're discouraged. Why? Because often when we're discouraged, we're tempted to look to a quick fix, either to a substance or to a relationship or to some distraction from our feelings. And it's important to have self-control in, in these seasons because we can't allow ourselves to surrender to these lesser desires. We have to say no to these lesser desires that enable, in order that we might say yes to something better. And Jesus is longing for us to come to him with our pain, with our struggle, with our sense of discouragement and frustrations about things happening in our lives. He's just longing to be with us in that season. And so I want to encourage you to allow the Spirit to work in your life, in your discouragement. God has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He is using these things to draw you into a deeper trust and dependence on him. And the reality is we cannot gain endurance and resiliency in our faith without, without, doing, without making it through difficult times. A resilient faith is a faith that's been tested, a faith that's been tried. And I believe Jesus is just calling us this morning to bring our discouragements and fears to him that he might do something even greater and deeper in our hearts. As I close, I just want to encourage you that if you're in this season, and if you're not in this season right now, you'll be in this season at some point. Discouragement itself isn't a sin. If you're discouraged right now, I don't want you to feel shame or guilt about that. Even Jesus was discouraged. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was definitely discouraged. He cried out, Lord, if there's any other way to save these people, let's, let's do that. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. You see, Jesus surrendered everything so that we could be given everything. Jesus was abandoned and suffered alone so that we would never be abandoned by God. If you're going through a difficult season right now and you're feeling discouraged, just know that you're not alone. Look to Jesus. Hold fast to him. Pursue community. Let people know how you're doing. Share your, your fears with people. Let people in. Try being vulnerable. Allow the church community to come alongside you and to build you up and to carry you through. And don't shrink back in this season. Don't withdraw. 
engage. Engage in the life of the church. Engage in community. Engage in serving. Because you'll find that as you begin to use the things that God has wired you to use and to bring you joy, you're going to find, you're going to find meaning in that. And you're going to find joy in the, in the difficult season. And then lastly, depend on the power of the Spirit to give you the endurance that you need. Let's pray together.